think of it as a pie. So you've got 15% that's taken out for protein. The minute you then try to restrict fat, the whole of the rest of the pie is going to be carbohydrate. Yep. So when our dear government said have no more than your diet, um, no more than 30% of your diet in the form of fat, at the same time, they were saying have 55% of your diet in the form of carbohydrate. And when you go on a low fat diet, low calorie diet, your carbohydrate intake goes so high. I mean, I worked all of this out as a teenager. So the way it works is you're thinking, oh, I can only have a thousand calories today. No way are you going to have a three egg omelette fried in butter that morning. That's half your calorie allowance gone calories. for the day. Yeah. yeah. So you have um, oh, a small bowl of dry rice cereal, um, four rice cakes. That's another hundred calories, two small apples. Maybe that's 300 calories. Um, and you just find yourself eating dry carbohydrates mm. and fruit all day long which is just carb 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 sugar 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 so you can see what's happened you only needed 500 calories of carbohydrate you've probably gone up to eight nine hundred so eating more than you need and you're not getting all the fat and protein that you need to nourish your body and then you wonder how it is that over the past 30 years not only have we got fatter we've got sicker mm. and it's because we've eaten the wrong things yeah so when people say, well, if I can't eat less, how do I lose weight? You've got to eat better. Welcome to Your Body's Way, a podcast for all of you health conscious humans out there who want to nourish, move and take care of your body your way, not the diet books way or even my way. Your journey to find your body's way through all of the noise and nonsense starts right here, where I'll be presenting and breaking down all of the current popular health practices so you can make intelligent choices that work for you and you alone. You know what they say, if the shoe fits. So I encourage you to take on what sounds tempting and to reject what doesn't. So let's dive into your journey to becoming the person you know you can be. Hello there and welcome back to Your Body's Way. I am so, so excited about today's guest. She is an absolute firecracker and she is not afraid to speak her mind when it comes to um, her thoughts and her research on uh, very important topics like um, government food guidelines and the obesity epidemic that is on our hands at the moment. She is an author a public speaker and a very, very intelligent um, researcher. And her name is Zoe Harkham. Now, myself and my hobby go back, way back with Zoe and her hobby, actually. Uh, we met way over 10 years ago. And um, back when um, I was teaching fitness courses with my husband, we were also running Harkham Diet Clubs from our London venue. So, it was really cool. We had um, people coming in who wanted to lose weight and we were taking them through the Harkham diet process. It's a three phase process, which Zoe outlines in this conversation. And um, it was really, really effective and people were absolutely loving it. And I have to say, I have some personal experience with Zoe's work and the Harkham diet. I myself had a binge eating problem and one of the issues that was fueling my binge eating disorder was the belief that I needed to um, cut calories in order to lose weight 
and I needed to exercise my ass off in order to lose weight. Now, when I started running the Harkham Diet Club, I realised that actually both of those things aren't necessary if you want to get into um, in, into shape and if you want to lose some weight. Now, exercisers out there will be saying, what? We don't need exercise to lose weight? Well, exercise is amazing. You know that I love exercise for basically everything, for your um, for your heart health, for your bone health, for your muscle health, for your brain health. It's absolutely fabulous. But when it comes to weight loss, it's not actually the best tool. It all comes down to diet. And this is something that we, um, myself and Zoe, talk about in uh, great detail in this conversation. So I really can't wait for you to hear what she has to say. And I hope that you come away feeling like you've... Um, that you looking at the the guidelines that we're given by the government looking at them with a slightly different lens so without further ado please hear zoe speak on some very important topics welcome zoe harkham to my podcast your body's way it is so so good to see you and i'm so so grateful to have you on this podcast right now um We've just had a lovely chat catching up um, because we've known each other for, gosh, it's been 10 years, hasn't it? I know, we just worked it out, haven't we? Yeah, how much has happened in that time? Yeah, how the world has changed. How the world has changed. Um, We've just had a very kind of in-depth conversation about things that are happening at the moment. But um, but I I love how um, speaking with someone like yourself, um, speaking your mind and um, saying what you think um with backed up research and um with a the scathing wit how you deliver your information <laughs> um it's uh, you know I I know that you know I was just saying like speaking your mind and pressure like that's your middle name like that's who you are you know <laughs> that's what you do best so thank yeah. you it's very kind to say actually my mum used to call me pocket rocket because she's tiny my mum she was four foot 11 or something I ended up five foot two which was a little bit better but she was always saying oh there's good stuff in little bundles you know never worry that that you're the smallest person in the room and of course my previous career I mean people only know me for having done a a PhD in public health and spoken at conferences and written books and all that kind of stuff but my first career was as an HR director so I was an HR director not many people know I was pretty senior in HR in big food and big pharma um, and then telecoms, and I've been at board level in the National Health Service in Wales, and um, on the board of Cardiff Metropolitan University. And you know, invariably, I was the shortest person in the room, but quite often I was the only female in the room, of course, during uh, during that earlier career. So I think it's got a little bit. But in fact, I think you have to have it now, don't you? You have to, whether people are good or not. I, mean, I think you just should recruit people on merit, and if you end up with um, a, a diverse board, then that's great. But um, hey, we are where we are now. We've, you've got to force the diversity to, um, to to make sure it's representing lots of different people. And I can see pros and cons in both. But yeah, that was my my first career. Yeah. Um, I, before uh, this conversation, obviously in preparation for speaking with you, um, I've been kind of binge watching your presentations and <laughs> um, over the last week. And there was this one part that absolutely cracked me up. I actually lolled in the in the cafe. <laughs> I was sitting and I was sitting with my coffee and I was like, <laughs> so um, it was the presentation when you were talking about the Game Changers documentary. Oh, <laughs> um, no, I get in trouble for that one. <laughs> was that the one when I was actually wearing this? 
this this no, dress you're wearing, probably you're wearing like a pink you're wearing a pink dress okay um, and I have to say your arms I was just I was just like looking at your arms I was like oh my oh, god Zoe you. like that the tone is just incredible but anyway oh, um <laughs> switching over to the can't see those today can you um switching over to what um so basically um you were saying look you know you, you were coming out with all this research about how game changers you know they, they could have come out with better research I mean come on guys like this is silly and um but then uh there was this one part where you said okay but there is one experiment that they did on game changers <laughs> that I have to say guys like I don't even know I don't think I can even stand up to this I mean this is <laughs> serious experiment that they did and then the next slide was them measuring plastic penises <laughs> and you were like oh come on guys like how can you how can you say that vegans don't get like stronger erections <laughs> like I like come on guys how they put like that this? in the movie I mean that was just comedy gold wasn't it it had to be done um, and you do have to time it right to sort of build up before you flick the slide over. And of course, as soon as yeah. you flick the slide over and there's a plastic penis, the whole audience just laughs because we're puerile at heart. You yeah. know, if you, if you, if you, there's certain words, aren't they, that just children will snigger in class and they still yeah, laugh as a grown up. So, um, but it's funny, you totally roped me in because I was like, oh, so is there something in the game changes that you really do think <laughs> is really good? And then you just Sadly switched no. to that slide and you're just like, that, I lolled in the cafe. It was so funny. Oh, good that's good to know <laughs> thank you for that um, I got um, in trouble for that actually because my um I got, got a couple of friends in the village we discovered during this whole lockdown thing we realized that all the village believed the whole you know we're all going to die and if you leave the house and exercise for more than an hour a day you're going to kill your granny yeah everyone other than this other couple and we didn't find them straight away and then when we did find them it was like this haven in our own village where we could just you know walk up the road and go in and have a, a drink and a hug and nobody knew and they've got this um little girl um and she was five then she's now seven and they would put her in front of youtube when they, all the schools were closed and everything and they tried to show her interesting videos and she was really interested in food and all that kind of thing so they said oh watch zoe on youtube so there was one version of that presentation that I actually did over at CrossFit HQ. And to put it in context, we the, the way it was due to work, Greg Glassman, a chief exec of CrossFit at the time, had said, right, we're going to take down the game changers. We're going to do it in front of our 250 most senior trainers, supporters, investors, whatever, worldwide. So we're going to get them all into CrossFit HQ. We're going to get Gary Taubes. We're going to get Michael Ease. We're going to get Asim Malhotra. We're going to get, oh God, who else was there? People from Verta, Georgia Eid, me. Um, it was an incredible, Sarah Halberg, um, God rest her soul. Get everybody over there and we're going to take down the game changers from different angles. Um, and so we had all just watched the movie and he was really macho, wasn't he? That James character. Um, yeah. He was all sort of, you know, I'm SAS or whatever. And if I can be a vegan, then any of you can be vegan because I'm, you know, I'm as hard as it comes. And there's one point in the in the film where he uses the word motherfucker. Um, and it's not a word that I would ever use, but there was a context in Even my the presentation. Even the way you say it, it's like motherfucker. I know, it's like, I know. <laughs> but there was a context. I know in my presentation when it would have just worked. So I was reading the audience and it was Super Bowl day. So we were doing this presentation thing in the morning and then in the afternoon, we were all going to stop the conference and watch the Super Bowl. It was a fantastic day just before lockdown, February 20. 
And the audience, of course, was brilliant, wasn't it? They'd been up since seven watching the movie. They were all pumped. They'd had a workout at five. They were macho. They were in there. You know, they looked like you. They were wearing their sort of vest tops and shorts and everything. And it was just right. So I went for it and I said this word and the whole audience just erupted. But of course, my friends put their little princess in front of this video. And I should have said, there's only one you mustn't let her watch. I don't swear, but I do in this one video. And then I get this message from my friend going, oh, my goodness, we had sweary Mary this morning. <laughs> oh, no, no don't I, I'm so I'm so sad I missed that because I, when I was looking through your videos, I did not find the CrossFit conference. I did not come across that one, so I'm going to have to look it up. Like, I'm sure it's CrossFit, on CrossFit, yeah. Zoe Harkham, it's only yeah. 20 minutes. I managed to do it in 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, I was wearing this, I can't believe it, I was actually wearing this dress, my little white stripey thing, yeah. and, um, and, and you'll spot it. And I can't remember when it comes in the... I think quite early on, actually, because I just thought, yeah, from this point on, it will be downhill from there. So yeah. let's go for it. I, so anybody who hasn't seen Zoe Harkham do presentations, um, definitely just got to catch them. You've got to catch one or two because they're definitely, um, you know, it's so informative. Yeah. The way you bring in humor and, you know, your personality, like it just makes it much easier to absorb the information. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, You've got to be entertained. I mean, some of these conferences are four days long. And they're all being videoed now. So you're all in a completely blacked out room. Mm. So when they're in the US, I mean, it's a nightmare for us Brits because we're in an eight hour jet lag anyway. You yeah, go into a dark exactly. room at eight o'clock in the morning and you emerge from a dark room at eight o'clock at night, which for you is four o'clock in the morning. Mm. Um, yeah, so it's it's really tough, actually. I mean, if you, you can't entertain them. I mean, there's some that are um, very dry, uh, particularly academic presenters tend to be very dry they think they have to be very serious and you don't you've got to keep people awake otherwise you know they should leave and make this their coffee break yeah um I mean there's two topics that I want to talk to you today about and um I know it's going to be quite tough to condense them down because they're big topics um <laughs> however um they're two things that I definitely want to touch upon with you and just pick your brains and I believe that the listeners really need to hear what you have to say about these two topics so first of all um, just talking about um, calories in, calories out, um, which is basically, you know, that's that's the topic that you talk about. That's kind of like the cornerstone of um, what you teach. Um, and then in the second half, just OK, so if calories um, in like calories out, if that's kind of like a smoke screen, um, you know, what is the real problem and um, what sort of foods do we need to be eating? And just kind of touching upon your opinions on veganism as well, if we have time at the end. But yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, go calories, where to start? Um, I mean, so I guess the first question. Um, yeah. So when they say eat less, do more. So when yeah. the government says that um, yeah. and we're all expected to do that and yet it's not as easy yeah. as you know, it comes across, <laughs> obviously, yeah. otherwise we wouldn't have the um, obesity epidemic that we yeah. have now yeah um, so so what is the issue there so you know eat less do more sounds so simple doesn't it it does yeah. it sounds so yeah. simple so what and is as you say on? if it worked yeah. we wouldn't have obesity let alone an obesity epidemic exactly um, and in modern mind. times as well it's such a modern yeah. issue yeah so, what so is in, a, in a nutshell why why doesn't it work okay first of all you can't do it so the body is hardwired to make sure we don't go hungry. We have evolved to find food, 
um, to consume whatever food that we find. The, the, the challenge is that we now live in a situation of abundance and we live in a situation of completely fake food that we have not evolved to eat. So the communities that are still living effectively in the wild and they're getting fewer and fewer by the, work, by the year, um, but where you've got some tribes in Africa or perhaps in American um, wilderness or um, up at the Arctic or whatever, uh, where you've got people still trying to eat that indigenous diet, they're still very much in the process of trying to consume as much as they possibly can, particularly in the autumn, because they know they've got to get through winter. And that that's how we've evolved. So first thing that happens when you try to eat less is your body tries to get you to eat more. And we've all been on a calorie controlled diet. Everybody watching this podcast at some point, particularly when they were younger, before they worked out that this is the wrong way to do it, they will have tried to eat less. And the, and the first thing that happens is you get hungry. You become obsessed. You can't think of anything other than food. So I'll give you 48 hours of counting calories. Try and stick to a thousand calories a day for the next two days. And I guarantee within a couple of hours, you'll be thinking about food. You'll be obsessed with food. When can I have my next meal? How can I go and get some food? Your body will preoccupy you until it can get you to eat more because it doesn't want you doing that eat less thing. And then if you try to do more, there's a couple of interesting things that happen. One is your body tries to get you to eat more mm -hmm. because you've just basically increased. I mean, you, you cut to what calories are. It's just petrol for yeah. the body. That's how we need to see them. So the body says you're doing more. You're trying to get the car from here to Birmingham instead of from here to Cardiff. So we need to put more fuel in. Um, so the first thing the body will say, right, you need to eat more, but the body will also try to get you to do less at other times. And there's a beautiful study that shows this. So the early bird diabetes study that was being conducted out of Plymouth um, started looking at three groups of children and it started looking at natural activity. And it was such a clever study. So they had the children that went to um, posh schools, um, the children that went to okay schools and the children that went to not very good schools. And they were, they were grouped into those three. And the children that went to posh schools where they've got all the facilities, you can play real tennis and they've got rugby pitches and lacrosse grounds and all the rest of it. So they would have a lot of sport built into the curriculum. The children at the OK schools, they might have a, a sports pitch, but they're not doing masses of sport and maybe not too much extracurricular. And then you've got the poor kids that don't have a sports field at the school. Um, but then they go home, they don't have, you know, they're not playing lacrosse for the for the school after school, it just doesn't happen. And what they found was, and they put these activity monitors on these children, this was all done about 20 years ago, and they found that they did astonishingly similar levels of exercise. So the posh kids that were doing the rugby and the lacrosse and all the rest of it, when they got home, they just didn't do very much, they did their homework, they sat on their bums. The middle class ones were sort of they did a bit of sport and then they got home and they might have gone out on their bike or maybe a skateboard played with their friends and the kids that didn't have the sport at school they get home mum's like get out of the house don't want to see you i'm cooking dinner you know there's 10 people in the house already get out um don't care about homework and they just kick around on the streets and they go for a walk they get into trouble um they play knockout ginger whatever and they were doing similar amounts of exercise so as soon as you think you're going to be able to do less the body or to, to do more the body is just going to get you to do less at another time so the whole eat less do more your body's just going to fight you all along the way but then the second big thing that happens is at some level we are able to eat less and do more i managed it for about six months when i was 16. um but this whole principle relies on the assumption that the body is a cash machine for fat so what they're saying is basically you've got the body 
um and they have this stupid calorie theory and if you, if you want to get that disproved just go on zoeharkin.com put in 3500 calories and i show you what i think of the three and a half thousand calorie theory because it just does not hold mm. but they'll say okay let's say you cut back by 500 calories every day this is what they tell you is going to happen cut back by 500 calories every day the body is just going to give up one pound of fat because one pound of fat is approximately three and a half thousand calories i mean it's so wrong but go along with their little game for now so the idea that the body is not going to adjust in any way i'm just going to eat three and a half thousand fewer calories and it's going to say there's a pound of fat i'm going to do three and a half thousand calories more exercise and it's going to go there's another pound of fat and it will just keep doing it every time you create that deficit and i say to people at conferences okay i'm what 110 pounds so let's say i manage to do that over let's say i manage to lose two pounds a week because they say create a deficit of seven thousand calories you'll lose two pounds a week so in 50 weeks in one year's time i'm going to weigh 10 pounds and of course everyone laughs and I say, why are you laughing? Because that's what you believe. If you're going on a calorie control diet on a Monday morning thinking you're going to cut back by 7,000 calories and lose two pounds of fat, that's what you believe. Of course, the body doesn't do that. The body is fantastically complex, the most complex thing on earth. You know, as, as somebody who's come up in the fitness training industry, you know all the systems of the body and what the body can do. So you've got the nine systems of the body, you've got the skeletal system, the cardiovascular system, the lymphatic system, da 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 da, da. So, you know, reproductive system. That's the first one that the body turns off. Mm. As you know, with women yeah. who take it too far in the gym, periods go. You do not need to reproduce. You're not looking after yourself at the moment. Forget reproduction. So that um, one just goes. Yeah. The heating system goes. Just turn off the heating. We get cold. The Sorry, you're going to say? No, I was, I was just going to say just on that note, because there are so many thoughts coming up as you're speaking. But, um, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, um, you know, talking about the reproductive system, I've had lots of conversations with um, fitness professionals. And even they would say, you know, when we're competing for bodybuilding and when we're trying to, you know, lose body fat, they'd be the first to admit that, yeah, um, you know, some most women lose their cycles, some don't. But, you know, they that they see that the risk for women is you know very high when it comes to um their menstrual cycles and their hormones mm. and um so it is the first and it's you know it's sad that you know your body puts reproduction last um but it's just the way it is it's, it's survival mode i guess it's, it's but, protecting yeah. you it's totally but i mean look at that's really obvious and you can tell that that's happened what about the things that you can't tell have happened mm. so what about the building bone density yes. that got turned off that you didn't spot the fighting infection that you didn't spot i mean the the extremes of this are the tour de france cyclists and they have to isolate themselves coming up to the tour de france because one sniffle from a child that any healthy adult should be able to just brush off they're out of the tour mm. you know their immune systems are on the floor so you think oh i ate 500 fewer calories the body's just gonna give up that as body fat no it just did 500 fewer calories of activity you could have eaten those. In fact, you needed to eat those calories to be healthy, but you didn't eat those calories. You thought you were gonna lose body fat and all you did instead was to lose health. And people just don't see that. And I, I wanna scream at them and say, how can you not see that the body can and does adjust? Your entire three and a half thousand calorie theory relies 100% on the fact that the body will do nothing other than say, there's a pound of fat, there's a pound of fat. There's, it's not a cash machine for fat, yeah. it's just, I can't get my head around how stupid it is that people actually think the body is going to do that when it can just make so many other choices instead. And when you reduce calories, your body 
actually goes into a mode of, okay, I've got to protect myself. Um, less energy is coming in. So I need to, like you said, it's going to start shutting down the systems over time. But then initially, the first thing is it'll start to lower your BMR, right? Your basal metabolic rate. So actually, when you think you're eating less and, you know, you should be therefore burning more fat, um, your body is actually holding on to it at that point because it's like, you know, your, your basal metabolic rate slows down. So that's the, that's the um, catch 22, you know, like, you know, the eat less, do more. It's more like eat less, do less. Like that's what your body wants to do. Yeah. Yeah. And forever then have to eat less. I mean, I'm so lucky that I was able to rescue my metabolism. So I can still eat a lot now. You know, I go to conferences and I'm in with people who are eating keto or carnivore one meal a day, fasting for two days at a time, and I'm slimmer than they are. And I don't eat like that. I eat three decent sized meals a day. I can still have porridge, brown rice, baked potatoes if I fancy them. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that there are more nutritious things to choose every time I choose those, but I can, you know, I'm still metabolically healthy and able to cope with those. But I probably started off because I was a super sporty teenager. So I was doing rounders and tennis and um, athletics and doing lots of sports at hockey for the school and all the rest of it. So I was probably able to burn i don't know two and a half to three thousand calories easily and then i went on this stupid calorie controlled diet because i i thought i was a bit podgy as a teenager and i probably was a bit podgy as a teenager but completely still healthy and you know no way would anyone have said oh crikey there's someone who's overweight they just said hey podgy podgy 15 year old um but i got to the point where i would put on weight on thousand calories a day Mm. and that's what happens because the body just just shuts everything off it just slows everything down now the other thing that happens when you count calories is you eat the wrong things so um again this is not an accurate science and we shouldn't use it in the way that we do but as an approximation carbs are approximately four calories a gram protein is approximately four calories a gram and fat is approximately nine calories per gram so the second you count calories you avoid fat which is actually the one macronutrient that wouldn't impact your blood glucose and wouldn't impact your insulin levels and actually can be used by the body for everything. So you mentioned something really important earlier on basal metabolic rate. And I don't know if your listeners can visualize this now, but I try to to get them to look at, let's take a typical female, 2000 calories a day. Let's, Let's keep the maths easy. So for that typical female who's moderately active one to three times a week, Of those 2000 calories, 1500 approximately are for basal metabolic rate needs and approximately 500. It's a lot. Mm. Approximately 500 are for energy on top of that. Now, here's the kicker. So this is not totally accurate. And I I keep meaning to get to the bottom of this and write an academic paper on it because it's so important. But by and large, the vast majority of the need for the basal metabolic requirements is delivered by fat and protein. So things like building bone density, fighting infection, cell repair, um, building muscles and all the rest of it, your body needs fat and protein to do that. Now, yes, there's an element of you need to be kept warm and carbohydrates can help keep you warm, but essentially think of fat and protein as your basal metabolic requirement macronutrients. Then you look at energy. Now, energy, you'll know this, can come from fat, can come from carbohydrate, can come from protein, but as the last resort, if there's any carbohydrate available, the body will take that in preference, then it will take fat, but essentially it will take fuel from fat or carbohydrate, but it doesn't want to use carbohydrate for basic metabolic needs. So you start off at your 2000 calories a day, and let's say you were eating 
in the right proportions. So 1500 coming from fat and protein because you weren't paranoid and 500 from carbohydrates. So you eat, eat in a sensible low carb diet. Then you count calories and you immediately realize I can't have anything with fat in it. So it's no longer full fat yogurt, it's low fat yogurt, it's um, white meat instead of red meat, it's white fish instead of oily fish, it's stupid protein shakes instead of a salad and soirs for lunch and all that kind of thing. So you're cutting the fat out of your diet. Well, the fat was going to do those repair 1500 calorie things. So mm -hmm. you start making yourself sick because you're not eating the macronutrients you need for that bit. And you start eating more carbohydrate because protein just tends to stay quite constant in any natural diet. It just does. I can give you does, references yeah. for that. It just tends to, it's fascinating whether you're vegetarian, omnivore, carnivores get it up to about 20, 25%, but it's just, it's astonishingly constant. Yeah, I've, I've measured my own over, over a period of weeks and it does tend to stay around the 15 to 20%. It, it really it's so, so funny, it is. isn't it? Yeah. yeah, so the minute you then cut fat, this was the, the basis of yeah. my sort of PhD. Think of it as a pie. So you've got 15% that's taken out for protein. The minute you then try to restrict fat, the whole of the rest of the pie is going to be carbohydrate. Yep. So when our dear government said have no more than your diet, um, no more than 30% of your diet in the form of fat, at the same time, they were saying have 55% of your diet in the form of carbohydrate. And when you go on a low fat diet, low calorie diet, your carbohydrate intake goes so high. I mean, I worked all of this out as a teenager. So the way it works is you're thinking, oh, I can only have a thousand calories today. No way are you going to have a three egg omelette fried in butter that morning that's half your calorie allowance gone calories. for the day yeah yeah so you have um oh a small bowl of dry rice cereal um four rice cakes that's another 100 calories two small apples maybe that's 300 calories um and you just find yourself eating dry carbohydrates mm. and fruit all day long which is just carb 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 sugar 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 so you can see what's happened you only needed 500 calories of carbohydrate you've probably gone up to eight, 900. So eating more than you need and you're not getting all the fat and protein that you need to nourish your body. And then you wonder how it is that over the past 30 years, not only have we got fatter, we've got sicker. Mm. And it's because we've eaten the wrong things. Yeah. So when people say, well, if I can't eat less, how do I lose weight? You've got to eat better. Mm -hmm. You cannot afford any empty calories. You cannot afford any processed foods. And you do eat processed foods when you're on a calorie count. You go for the ready meal that's been calorie counted for you. Mm -hmm. You don't look on the back that it's got 50 different ingredients, most of which you can't even pronounce, let alone do you know what they are. You just say, oh, it's only a couple of grams of fat and it's 250 calories, perfect for my dinner. Um, you know, despite the fact you finished it and you just, at the end of it, it's like, oh, I'm so hungry. You know, now I could really eat something healthy. Um, so people have got to eat better. They cannot set about eating less. You set about eating less. You just set in process a domino of bad choices yeah. that can not, lead you yeah. down a really bad route. And not to mention um, the mental effects of it as well. Um, as soon as you go low calorie, um, yeah. I mean, I've been there myself, like yourself. Um, I had a binge eating disorder. Um, gosh, I think it was in my early 20s. I think even when I met you, uh, I was I was kind of in it um, even then. And um, it's, it's funny. I remember when it started. Um, it started when I, um, I think I had a breakup when I was 19. So you know how it goes. You just want, you know, revenge body. Like, take <laughs> revenge. I'm going to look my yeah. best. So um I, I went to an aerobics class back then when it's like aerobics, you know, in the school hall. 
um, aerobics class five times a week. So I started doing more and then I started eating a lot less. So I'd go into the office and I'd literally take in um, four apples for lunch, like four red apples. And I just remember eating them thinking, God, um, something about this doesn't feel right. (laughs) But, um, but I was doing it and I was, you know, trying to stick to salads and just low calorie, low calorie, because surely this will work. Like surely I'll get the best body ever if I just do more and eat less. And the biggest issue for me was, um, just the mental effects because for the next 10 years I battled a binge eating disorder um yeah it was um it was a really tough time and I I just I remember distinctly it kicking off at that point when I made that decision to have the revenge body Mm. um but like like you said it's it's really interesting the way you say it because what you're trying to say is um with the with the child the early bird study with the children basically what you're trying to say is that your body in in a healthy human being, the food that you take in and the exercise that you do, your body knows how to manage those things. Like mm-hmm. if, if you need to do more, if you need to burn more energy, the body will kind of naturally do it. Like you'll probably fidget more or you'll probably like feel the need to go out and do something. Um, and then you'll eat um, just kind of as much as you, as you need to kind mm-hmm. of fuel that movement. And in a healthy person, um, that's your, your body manages it on its own and you shouldn't have to count calories. Um, but then someone could say, okay, that's for people who have control and that's for people who, um, you know, aren't on a diet and not, don't have you know those kind of uh, poor relationships with food. So how can someone who, let's say, who is struggling with dieting at the moment, they're hearing all this and they're like, well, that's great. But, you know, I find I, you know, constantly the cupboards, I'm constantly hungry. And, you know, how do I do less? I mean, come on, I'm just going to gain weight, obviously. Um, What would you say to someone like that? So my, I mean, I've been where where you've been as well, actually, um, in my late teens, early 20s. Um, So it it resonates very strongly. Um, My first book was called Why Do You Overeat When All You Want Is To Be Slim? Mm. And it was that very question that I was trying to ask myself. So it was, if it's as simple as eat less, do more, why is there an obesity problem? But it was also why, when I want to be slim, I want to get my, my eating under control. I don't want to feel out of control around food. How is it that I'm a Cambridge graduate and I can't stop putting muffins in my face? Exactly. Um, I, I, sorry, I, I couldn't. On, on that point, like, I feel exactly the same. Like, I was, mm-hmm. we're intelligent women, you know, and, and the women listening to this who are going through the same thing, maybe, yeah. that they feel the same. They're like, I'm intelligent. Yeah. Like, I'm smart. Like, why yeah. is this happening to me? Like, yeah. it's, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So a couple of things going on. Let's unpack this. Mm-hmm. Um, one in, first one is that it, food is addictive. Um, and I don't know if I was one of the first to talk about this, but I mean, I could have written my Why Do Overeat about 20 years earlier. I started looking into it in Cambridge. Um, I was the um, JCR president at my college. And before that year, I was the women's officer. And I went up to, they used to train us in things like personal safety. And then there was some training up at the central um, Cambridge for all the women's officers. And um, I remember going along to this and they started talking about eating disorders. And I remember getting all this information and thinking, well, my goodness, this is talking to me like you can't believe, but I will be the only one in college. And my college had only just taken women for the first time in, well, since 1352, which was hilarious. Um, So I I put this stuff in, in a sort of empty pigeonhole. And I said, and I put notes in the women's pigeonholes. There were only about 24 women at the time. And I just said, 
or if anyone wants to take the information please just do have a read um you know pop it back if you want to come and talk to me about um the things that they shared with us they gave us more leaflets you know i'm in room staircase six whatever come come and talk to me every single one other than one came to talk to me 23 women out of 24 and i suspect the 24th um she was a, a supermodel at the time yeah. so i think she probably just thought i don't want anyone to know but i mean i was just astonished everybody was going through this at the time so i started looking into what it is so i said okay my definition of food addiction very early on was you want a particular thing so i didn't want green beans and salmon I wanted confectionery, crisps, um, biscuits, cakes, cream cakes. Unfortunately, I live near a cream cake shop in the heart of Cambridge. I wanted those even at seven o'clock in the morning on the way, way back from rowing. Um, so you want the same thing. That's number one. You want a particular thing. Then you want more and more of it. So that's the problem. One biscuit doesn't do it. You want 10 biscuits. You can't stop at one biscuit. Stage three, you get to the point where you start feeling bad if you don't have it. So the morning that I said, right, I'm going to go rowing and I'm really not going to stop at Fitzbilly's on the way home and get a couple of cream cakes and take them up to my room before lectures. I'm just not going to do it. I would actually feel quite bad because I was getting withdrawal symptoms because I'd actually got to the point that I was addicted to intolerant to wheat and sugar, right. which was basically all, all my crave foods. They were just delivering wheat and sugar in, in different forms, biscuits, cakes, etc. So were, were they physical withdrawal symptoms, emotional yes. ones? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then the final stage of addiction is stage four, which is when we suffer the consequences of that addiction. And unfortunately, that's the only time that we do something about it. And I have often said to people, if there were no consequences of addiction, if we didn't become obese, if we didn't become depressed, if we didn't spend loads of money and waste our life having binges and getting stomach pains and feeling ill and all the rest of it, we would just do it. I would eat carbs all day long if it had no impact on weight or health. Trust me, I would. I would just, I'd eat, I'd eat crap all day long. Who, who wouldn't? You know, let's not pretend. But it does have a massive impact on weight and health. So we can't do that. But most people don't seek help until they're at stage four of addiction, which is, it's, it's manifested itself as a problem. And the most typical problems, particularly when you're younger, are obesity, um, puffy face, carb face, can't sleep properly, or going into some sort of carb induced coma and then being all foggy the next day and of course as you get older it manifests itself in diabetes um, heart disease and all the rest of it so food addiction is very very real the next part of my research when i left cambridge i went to work for a management consultancy firm and the first post i got was over in the us um, and it sounded great but we were working really hard um, people in the office had their own families to go home to so if we ever did get a couple of hours off at eight o'clock in the evening I was really lonely. I had nothing to do. Um, so I would go and sit in bookshops and they put Starbucks in bookshops back back then. So it was it was a, a lovely evening. I could get a milky coffee and I could sit and browse through the book section. And they had books that we just did not have in the UK. And I started reading books, things like Candida Albicans, Could Yeast Be Your Problem? The Yeast Syndrome, um, Low Blood Sugar and You by Carlton Fredericks, Is Hyperglycemia Your Problem? food intolerance and, and and the front covers were just amazing and it was um do you feel addicted to food do you feel you've lost all your energy your get up and go has got up and gone um da, 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 da. and these books were just talking to me and i just bought them all and i remember going back to london one day and i was still couldn't manage my eating so i just sort of put them all out on the floor in my flat and just said right let's look at these so and they were all talking about food addiction and i suddenly realized that 
um, the yeast connection, candida orbicans, when, I mean, I was talking about gut flora, you know, long before Tim Spector and people came on the scene, when your gut flora get out of balance, it is going to drive you to crave certain foods. And some of those foods are quite interesting. Yes, it's the biscuits, cakes, sweets, but it's also things like blue cheese and vinegary foods, because mushrooms. that's the kind of thing. That was a yeah, weird one. Mushrooms. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that, that was one. It's like, okay, so that's candida food intolerance you end up craving that to which you become intolerant so that's your wheat and your sugar and then hyperglycemia was of course fascinating because the minute you realize you're supposed to have one teaspoon of glucose in your entire bloodstream at any one time you realize that you know the four apples that both you and i were having for lunch we were putting some of that's fructose some of it's glucose we were putting 50 grams of glucose into the bloodstream 12 times what the body wanted at any one time and the body just has to keep taking it out with insulin but of course it doesn't get it quite right so you have this really narrow band so you eat the apple your blood glucose spikes then it drops lower and that's when you crave more sugary stuff to get it back into normal it just doesn't manage it that accurately particularly when you're having about 400 grams of carbohydrate every day you and i were probably on five or six hundred so it's just spiking up and down the whole time so I would say to people when I started trying to help people to lose weight, do you find that if you have one biscuit, you can't stop, but if you don't have one biscuit, you're okay? And they're like, yeah. Um, it's like, yeah, because you're just whacking yourself out of that normal range the whole time. So then you look at the books and you say, right, what do they, because these are all written by doctors. You know, these weren't, um, you know, uh, lay people or whatever. This, these were doctors, they were surgeons, they were gastroenterologists, they were clinicians, they were psychiatrists. They were people who'd noticed that their patients for some reason we're doing these sort of crazy things, trying to buy carts of ice cream at two o'clock in the morning. And the diet was unbelievably similar. And I just, it was kind of back to maths, which is then what I did at Cambridge. It's like, what's the lowest common denominator? What do they agree on? They all agree on meat, unprocessed or naturally cured meat. Um, deli meats are fine. Meat is fine. Eat meat however much you want. Fish ditto is fine. Not smoked fish, because you start messing around with it then, but plain fish is fine um eggs are fine vegetables are fine salads are fine baked potatoes are not a vegetable don't look on them as a vegetable um wheat is not fine sugar's not fine anything processed is not fine and then they were all massively restricting carbohydrates so they would even have a debate over brown rice and i was veggie at the time so i thought look i've got to eat something i'm not going to be eating meat and fish i can't just have eggs um, natural live yogurt was fine as well, but not the blue cheeses and other dairy products. So I was building up a little list of what was okay. And then I thought, well, I'm, some of them say a sort of safe grain and some of them don't. So I'm going to go with that because I need something to be able to eat. So I'm going to go with 50 grams dry weight of brown rice. And oats are pretty safe as well. So if you want to swap out the brown rice and have it for porridge, that's fine. And if you want to use it as rice pasta or corn pasta or barley, you know, anything other than wheat is fine so i put this diet together and it's like how long does it have to be five days because food intolerance you want to get through anything that you might have been intolerant to from your body and you're going to do that in five days food will pass through you in about three to four days so at five days you're not going to have that legacy of the wheat and the sugar from the cake that is going to make you want to eat the wheat and the sugar again so and the five days almost killed me you know i was the mm. first guinea pig to try it so i thought right do this thing almost killed me the cravings were unbelievable but sure enough by day five it's like do you know what i don't want a biscuit i don't want a confectionery bar this is quite extraordinary and i'd lost about half a stone mm. i just couldn't believe it wow. um 
And then I started looking at, okay, so what can you start safely putting back in, which was kind of phase two. And then phase two started looking at, well, what is food? And then I started making discoveries of, oh, look, nature tends to put food in two forms. It tends to either give you proteins in everything, you know, that tends to either give you a carb protein, which is what vegans eat. That's your fruits, vegetables, grains, legumes, pulses. Or it gives you a fat protein, which is the things that vegans don't eat. That's your meat, fish, eggs, and dairy. And then at the extreme, you've got sucrose, which doesn't have any protein, and you've got oils that don't have any protein. But we're talking about proper food here. Everything in the middle has got protein. So then you start noticing things like, ah, all the foods that I was addicted to were a carb-fat combo. And that doesn't appear in nature. With a couple of exceptions, nuts and seeds. So nuts and seeds are high in fat, protein and carbohydrate. And hey, guess what? Stand near a tray of nuts. They don't even have to be salted and start eating them and see if you can stop. Because I can't. I just don't stand near them. I can't stop. Yeah. So then when you say to people, look, so if I let you have dry crackers on their own, how many could you eat? Not many. If I let you have butter or cheese on its own, how much could you eat? Not so much. I'll let you have them together. How much can you now eat? There's no limit. You could just eat cheese on crackers all all night long. Mm -hmm. And that's the carb fat combo. So phase two then started bringing in those kind of observations today. Okay, we've got the base of the meat, fish, eggs. We've now got dairy products coming in, not just natural live yogurt. Um, We're staying away from wheat and we're always going to stay away from processed junk because that's just not going to do us any good but we can start bringing other things back in, but we're gonna start eating the way that nature gives us food. So we're gonna start having carb meals. They became known, we just dropped the protein or we're gonna have fat meals. So the carb meals would be brown rice and butternut squash curry or brown rice and veggie chili or rice pasta and tomato um, vegetable sauce, Mediterranean vegetables. Or they're gonna be fat meals, which is steak and salad and fish and salad niçoise, all those kind of good things. But we're going to take away that I don't have a off button mm. by not putting those things in at the same time. Yeah. And that, that was kind of it. <clears throat> that was, um, that was what ended up being put in my first book. And my first book, um, was published by a small publisher in Wales. And I even put my email address in at the beginning. <laughs> I thought nobody's going to read this. And then I had to take it out in a future one because <laughs> I was getting emails from people and they were like, where were you when I was at college? And I was, binging on food and I'd email them back and I was like I was doing that I was at college binging on food that's where I was so you know it was great to get some feedback but then you know I had to kind of say okay this is you know this is it hadn't gone viral but you know I got a little bit well known so I had to stop but that that's that's the basics of what's going on with food and addiction and oh yeah and the other thing is um here's the final piece in the jigsaw the minute you go on that calorie controlled diet you eat all the things that feed those three conditions. Mm. So all the things that are going to feed candida overgrowth, you're craving the pickled foods, the vinegary foods. I can understand why I was craving pickled beetroot. That, that seemed absurd to me. And as you say, mushrooms, let alone all the junk food, any carbohydrate is going to mess up hyperglycemia. So you were doing that with knobs on and you were getting food intolerance to wheat and sugar. So Everything you did trying to lose weight led to you going down the path of getting those three conditions and then you were a food addict and there was nothing you could do about it. Mm. No matter how intelligent you were, how strong willed you were, what kind of willpower you thought you had when you were up against those three conditions and food addiction, you were powerless, but you could 
knock it on the head in five days and get into and then it was up to you if you then I kept saying to people don't then be complacent because you will actually think you could work in a biscuit factory and not have a biscuit and you think oh I'll have a biscuit I'm fine now I'm, I'm sorted I'm strong and the minute you have a biscuit you're like an alcoholic that has that first drink yeah. now I can have some of those things now I most often choose not to um but it was a long period of time before I I dared have sugar or um even one little thing that you think isn't going to hurt it it really does hurt for a long period of time so are you saying if somebody um if, if somebody's on a diet and they feel like they can't control their weight they can't control their eating um the best thing to do is to switch to whole foods in the in the kind of sequence you just described so you just described three distinct phases and that's the Harkham yeah. diet that that yeah. you know that's how we met them um, through the Harkham diet yeah. um, book that you wrote um so if you introduce whole foods and you abstain from the things that are feeding those three conditions and um, that yeah. are keeping people overweight, keeping people obsessed with food, um, if, if, if you do that for a certain period of time, then you should um, find yourself um, naturally wanting to gravitate towards whole foods and coming away from um, the, the, the foods that keep them overweight um, and the, the metabolism will be healed and you'll go back to that healthy body where you can, your body can manage its own movement. It can manage its own calorie intake, but to get there, you just need that first stage of like, okay, just I'm going to abstain for a bit, you know, do this sequence and then um, my metabolism yeah. will be healed. Is, is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah. Within, within that framework, it's then that that's the framework, but it's then very individual. And one of the principles in phase two is don't eat the foods that cause your cravings. Mm. And that's where you've got to be really honest. So that means all of us are off the processed foods. So we're all in the same club with that one. You know, you're no more or less deprived than anyone else, but where you might start feeling a little bit more deprived than some other people. And the people who've had the most success with this are the ones that just say, look, do you know what? That's just how I am. And I wish I were a bit more like Zoe or Andy and I could be more flexible with what I eat, but I'm not. So I've just got to be honest about it. Um, I had to be honest with fruit. And it sounds like you probably did as well, because fruit was my binge food. I could not believe that fruit was anything other than we were told, weren't we, five a day? Well, I'm yeah. eating 16 a day or whatever, you know, I'm, I'm three times as healthy as everyone else. You know, I used to buy packets of dates. I once, once did an article. I did saying, that too. Yes. Oh, those medial yes. dates. They have more sugar than toffee. They were little I would toffee packs. Yes. And I, I remember yeah. looking at the nutritional information and going, 600 calories? No, that can't be right. And I'd have a couple of packets a day. I mean, it was it was quite expensive habit as well, actually. And I'd be popping, yeah. and they didn't get them everywhere. You had to go to Waitrose or M&S. It was very posh. Yeah. But I mean, you know, we were mad. And then buckets of cherries or something. I really, it was my binge food. I have berries now. I have apples when they're in season, usually from our garden because they don't taste sweet. Mm -hmm. um, I can't have four of the American red delicious apples anymore. They're just falsely sweet. Yeah. Um, I have one and, and an hour later I want another one. So I'm, I'm aware that it's done something to my blood glucose level. Um, so, you, so you say that, um, so fat is a food where if you consume um, a lot of, a big portion of your calories, more than the government advises, if you um, consume a big portion of, of fat per day, um, 
the difference between fat calories and carbohydrate calories is that fat calories actually go in and they have multiple multiple uses whereas carbohydrates if you eat that the same amount of calories they only have one use and that is energy yeah so how how do how do eating um how to eating so many carbs like let's just say someone eats lots of fruit and you know they eat all of the all of the carbs all of the things um as per the government guidelines um how does that cause weight gain how does that lead to that because you're, you're eating the wrong thing so that the body basically had a 500 calorie requirement for carbohydrate and let's say even if you've gone down from your 2000 calories to 1500 so you think you're going to be losing a pound a week But in doing that, you've ended up, let's say, eating a thousand calories of carbohydrate and only 500 of protein and fat. So you're a thousand calories down on your fat protein requirement. So that's your body just going to shut down loads of repair mechanisms. But you're still then eating a thousand calories of carbohydrate and you only need 500. Mm. So you can still get both fat and sick, even though you've created a calorie deficit. And people just don't get this. Mm. A calorie is not a calorie. They are so fantastically different. And on top of that, of course, the fruit is not giving you what you need. Um, You know, a a statement I'll make as well is fruit is essentially sugar with far fewer nutrients than most people realize. So it's not giving you complete protein. It's not giving you essential fats. It's not giving you omega-3s and omega-6s in any form that you can do anything with it's really not that good for vitamins and minerals either so again on my site if you put in um five a day um you'll see some tables that i put together where i'll say okay there's liver there's sardines there's sunflower seeds there's an apple there's a so-called healthy whole grain and i just compare them per 100 grams for vitamins and minerals they just don't come near most people look at it and go, wow, I thought apples were healthy. They're just, they're basically water and sugar. They're just not that healthy. Um, so they just, we're just eating the wrong things. Now you've, you've touched on a really important thing there because this pie is so important. The day I realized that pie, and it should be really obvious, but it's kind of one of those penny drop moments where it's like, why didn't I visualize it in that way before? So you've got that pie, you've got the 15% protein, then they put in the 30% fat and therefore 55% has got to be carbohydrate. Duh, why didn't I think of that? What they were really doing is setting a high carb diet at the same time as setting the low fat diet. But then it works the other way because when people say, right, I'm going to go on a low carb diet. Um, and that's essentially what you were doing. So yes, you're going whole foods, but you're severely moderating carbohydrate relative to what you were having. I mean, phase one, there's no fruit you're on 50 grams dry weight of brown rice once a day, you will use that up as a moderately active person. So you're eating in a a completely different way. But start the pie again and say, okay, I'm going to go low carb. So I've got my 15%. If I'm low carb, I'm probably going to get near a 20%. But let's say somebody is, is doing a proper low carb diet because they've got a serious problem with overweight or obesity that they want to address. Let's say they say, right, I'm going to have 10% of my diet in the form of carbohydrate. And then I get people sending questions in saying, that means I've got to have 70 to 75% of my diet in the form of fat. How do I do that? And they start thinking, oh, I'm going to need to eat butter. And I'm sat at conferences next to people who weigh three times what I do. And we're having the same conference meal and I'm just eating it. And they're adding butter to to theirs. And it's like, you're the one who wants to lose weight, not me. And I will gently say to them, if, if I think they're open to being helped, I say, oh, that's really interesting. Do you mind me asking why you do that? 
and they say, oh, because I've got to get my macros up. I've got to get 75% of my diet in the form of, of fat. And I say, you do that by controlling the other two and then it just happens. Yeah. You don't have to add fat to anything. In fact, that's the last thing you want to do because people will do their little keto measurements and they're like, oh, I'm in ketosis. Mm -hmm. And then you say, so are you burning body fat or diet fat? Are you burning what you just ate or are you burning your love handles? And they, they, they look at you like, I never even thought of that. It's like, well, which is it? It's like, well, I don't know. I'm just in ketosis. It's like, well, what do you eat? Oh, I put butter on every meal. You're probably burning the butter that you put on your meal. Are you losing weight? No. Well, you are burning the butter that you put on your meal. You're not burning body fat. If you're not losing weight, you're not burning body fat. I mean, it's, it's yeah. you know, it's one and the same thing. So it just happens. Now, I did a presentation in Dublin a couple of weeks ago, and I hadn't used this slide before, and it was a really neat slide when I was putting it together. I'm like, oh, wow, I hadn't thought of that before. That's really interesting. So you take, I, I have this slide where I show people what is food. And of course, people say, you know, dietitians say, oh, meat is full of saturated fat. It's like, that's hilarious. So you take a steak and you, it's a raw steak. So you do it by 100 grams. So you can, you're doing it by 100%, basically. So 71% of it is water. So immediately you color 71% of the, the nice sort of picture of steak, you just color it blue. So that's your water. 21% is then protein. So you color that yellow. You've got a little trace of ash and minerals and all that kind of thing. Then you've got 7% fat. So you color that green. And then two of those seven grams of fat are saturated fat. So you, you're actually making the point. Saturated fat is literally the last thing that it is. Literally the last thing. But then what was really interesting, I put on top of that, okay, so let's look at where you're getting your calories from. This is, this is a normal steak that you or I would eat. It's not particularly lean. It's not particularly fatty. It's just how steak comes. So the water has obviously got no calories. The 21 grams of protein, use that four calories per gram. It's approximately 80 calories of protein. And then you've got seven grams of fat, approximately nine calories per gram of fat. So that's approximately 63 grams of fat. So do you see even having your protein three times higher than your fat, essentially you've got 80 calories from protein and 63 coming from fat. So they're not far off even. Mm -hmm. And that was with you just eating a normal steak. Now, if you have some dairy products, um, which you should be having as part of your low carb diet, you have some natural bio yogurt, you have some cheese, you're maybe cooking with cheese, you have some oily fish, oily fish is even higher in fat than red meat, um, which also is hilarious because they tell you to eat oily fish, but not red meat in the name of fat. And one is higher than the other. You know, you have this great healthy diet, choosing red meat over white meat, oily fish over white fish, eggs, full fat dairy products. You naturally get the fat. You don't have to add butter to anything. It's just the minute you've got protein fixed and you aim, you count your carbs. So you go for a low carb diet it just naturally fills up the rest. You don't have to do anything to make that happen. Yeah, and I can you will attest, end up eating. Yeah, and I, and I can attest to that because um, I can agree with that. Um, when I was doing keto for a while, um, I was tracking everything. And yeah, the, the foods that I was eating, um, just naturally it filled up to the keto um, ratio. I, th I think keto, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's like 70% fat, isn't it? Or more. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and it just naturally fell into that as I was choosing the keto foods. Yeah. But for my for my calorie counters out there who are just like, okay, are you serious? Like if I eat um, whole foods and um, I stick to the foods that Zoe's recommending, are you telling me, okay, can I just not, I don't need to, to count calories. Are you telling me that? Like, I don't need to count calories. Surely I need to train. Like, sure, I need to exercise to burn them off. No. So are you saying categorically, like, don't calorie count and don't worry yeah. about exercise and um, what are you saying about you know well exercise and we're probably on a wavelength on this one I mean I, I say to people exercise is good for every single thing in the world ironically exactly. other than weight loss yes I agree 100% because yes. you exercise you get hungry you exercise yes. you feel you've earned a reward mm. you know why do they put the vending machine in the leisure center because mm. you go for a swim and then you treat yourself to a bag of crisps or a hot chocolate um, and that's your nice little trip out and you've done you've invested and you've got a reward the exercise is the reward you did something yeah. that make you made, made you feel good but exercise does make you hungry so yeah. it's just not good for that you don't have to exercise to lose weight but you should exercise because it's yeah. it's great for it and, and you know we're the same on this it doesn't mean yeah. going down the gym it means do some gardening mm. go dancing go for a walk um do your own cleaning don't have a cleaner they're getting a better workout than you if you've got a cleaner um, so think about what, if, if you're a food addict at the moment, so people who are, um, trying to lose weight and feeling addicted to food and find themselves binge eating, think of what you stop. If you could just do what I'd said, if you could just follow phase one, get to the point that you're down to the meat, fish, eggs, natural live yogurt. That's the only dairy allowed in phase one, very small amount of either porridge, oats or brown rice. And if that doesn't work for you, if you find it makes you crave more carbs, then cut that out. That's the whole point. You've got to be honest. If there's anything fueling your overeating, you've got to cut that out. A lot of our guys quite quickly realize I, I was trying to avoid brown rice, so I'm not going to reintroduce it. Some of them realize they start binging on yogurt and start eating it by a sort of 500 gram load. It's like mm. if you can't eat it in a sensible amount, um, then then that's not for you. So you've got to cut that out as well. So you've got to be honest, but think about what you stop eating. Mm. You know, you're no longer going to be eating confectionery, biscuits, cakes, cereals, wheat, mm. bread, pastries. You know, there's so much that you're going to stop eating um so you say to them yeah you don't have to count calories but don't go mad think about if you had somebody sat next to you who you would think of as a sensible eater mm -hmm. what would they have for breakfast um so almost everyone who comes to our house for um for staying over or whatever um andy does a great cook breakfast almost everyone male female young old um small you know petite um you know sort of sean baker kind of size mostly we'll have sort of two eggs and two bacons, um, two rushes of bacon and two eggs. It just seems to be a sort of normal amount. It's what Andy would eat. Um, so that's your breakfast. Now, if you totted up the calories on that, if you were terrified of what you're about to do, it's actually not going to be that bad, but you haven't had a single carbohydrate. So your blood glucose just stays super even. Mm. You get to lunchtime, you might have a lovely salad niçoise with some boiled eggs, with some anchovies, with some tuna. If it's in oil, that's fine. It saves you putting salad dressing on. Um, 
if you want a bit of yogurt for dessert kind of thing you get through to dinner you have a really good sized steak or pork chops or some lamb or oily fish a nice big you know big we're talking big portions of the fat protein yeah, so no calorie counting so you can have no, big no, portions no, no you you need you need a good sort of 200 gram mm -hmm. for your main portion so a 200 gram salmon steak um maybe 250 gram red meat um and this is for people of our size so you know guys mm -hmm. should be scaling that up accordingly but if you find um that's not enough and you get hungry before the next meal then you've got to adjust it for you um mm. and some vegetables and some salads and then when you're in phase two you would tend to have cheese for dessert no crackers no grapes um and you get to the end of the day and if you've added it up you will you will probably have been eating less you've certainly been eating less than when you were having your binge days mm -hmm. and you'll have been eating so much better than when you did your calorie counted days because you'll have those 1500 calories that the body just wanted to use mm. so it goes back to rebooting the reproductive system and building bone density fighting infection keeping you warm all that kind of thing you no longer get cold you no longer get all that sort of downy hair that grows on your body trying to keep you warm we both know how that goes um and because you've limited the amount that you were putting in that was just purely there for energy because you've really had quite a low carb day the body is going to have to burn up some of the fat from that steak or some of the fat from that oily fish. And then when that's all gone, it's like, I'm onto body fat now. Yeah. And it, it's not hanging on to the body fat anymore because you do that for a certain period of time and the body starts thinking, oh, good, the person's settled down. I'm not starving anymore. It's not, you know, the middle of winter, food's obviously dried up. I don't have to go into that survival mode kind of thing. There's stuff coming in regularly, right? I'm going to go back to business as usual. And then the body starts working with you rather than working against you. And I put the big turning point for me was putting all my energy into nourishing my body and and seeing that as like I used to you've done this you used to see a good day is the day when you go to bed and you've only had four apples that was a good day that wasn't that was a really bad day really bad day reframe that thinking the good day is the day when you go to bed you haven't starved yourself you haven't binged you've nourished your body you've eaten the nutrients that your body needs you've been sensible you've been grown up you've been healthy um and you got through the day without binging gold star go to bed get up do it again the next day and you've got to stop weighing yourself in the early days and then you do kind of look around it's like wow i'm feeling better mm -hmm. um if you want to weigh yourself then great but manage your expectations if you just realize your genes are down a size or two you know the body will start working with you when you start reframing what it is to be healthy and what you see as a good day this is great um way that Gary Torbs explained um, calories in calories out and I mentioned this in a previous podcast as well but I'm going to say again because it's so good um, the way he describes it and it really hits home um, for anyone who thinks that if you eat too many calories you're going to gain weight um, he basically said there's there's a scale you'll probably know this what he's saying he's saying there's a scale so at the top of the scale obviously if you eat if you overeat and you overeat and you overeat obviously at that top end of the scale your body will gain weight, like no matter what, because, you know, you're overdoing things. But then on the other end of the scale, there's, you know, let's say Auschwitz, um, obviously they, they couldn't eat. And um, obviously eating low calorie for them meant that they lost a hell of a lot of weight because, you know, that's the way the body works. So at the two ends of the scale, the calories in calories out is kind of true, <laughs> but then in the middle, which is the basic population, um, it's grey. 
like you know it it doesn't it doesn't you know how many calories you take in really depends on your metabolism right and your hormones and um how your body your unique body treats those calories so do you, have you heard that um say, I have I've heard him off. use yeah. use another one actually there's one I prefer to that when he yeah. um because what he's saying about calories is um and it's interesting because he's a scientist and a physicist if you look mm. at my obesity book I go into the whole um people think the first law of thermodynamics says energy in equals energy out and it doesn't mm. it actually says in a closed system in thermal equilibrium energy can neither be created nor destroyed it shall be conserved and that is so different to energy in equals energy out mm. and then there are two other laws that we have to take into account so if you go online put in my name put in calories kettles and thermodynamics or something there's a presentation where I describe all of this. So I actually disagree and I've, I've had, I love Gary, I know him really well and we've had email exchanges and we've had in-person right. exchanges and he'll say, oh, I know you don't agree with me on that. And we really enjoy- So you don't agree with uh, what I've just said from- um, No, and I'm, okay, about, okay, to say, I'm yeah, about to say why. I think there's something in it. I think there's right. something about that middle range. But what I've heard Gary say, Gary will put it sometimes as, it's just not helpful if you're looking at somebody who's overweight and then the the dietitian would say oh they ate too much and they did too little he's like it's just not helpful so the analogy that he uses is we've got a certain number of people in a room and if the room gets full it's because more people came in and not so many left and if the room gets empty it's because more left and not so many came in um which you can kind of look at as a you ate too much you did too little kind of thing. Too many people came in the room, not enough people left the room. But it doesn't help you understand anything because what you're trying to understand is why did people leave the room? Why did people stay in the room? Why did people eat too many calories? Why did they not do enough exercise? Which is when you start flipping the whole thermodynamics thing on its head. Where I think that example that you've just given doesn't work, and this was one of the things that first woke me up to the calorie theory. I remember seeing a documentary and it was on channel four or something. And it was one of those um, ones that probably wouldn't be politically correct to do now, because it was almost like watching a car crash, but it was important television and it was brilliant television. And it was looking at four people who were morbidly obese and we're talking um, 30 stone, um, you know, whatever that would be in American, 500 plus pounds kind of thing. Some of them bedridden, and they were consuming up to 30, the, the, the one who consumed the most, they actually looked at his diet because he's he's in the house, he's bedridden, he's not going anywhere. He's got some terrible family member, clearly, who's bringing in this amount of food. So they were able to work out what the amount of food was. And I remember one of them was eating 36,000 calories a day. Now you go back to the calorie theory, he should have been gaining 10 pounds a day. You know, let's say lying in bed all day, his requirement was, I don't know, a couple of thousand calories, even being enormous, it, it maybe is 5,000 calories. He was still having 10 times three and a half thousand calories or nine times, whatever the maths are. It's, it's still going to be, he should have been gaining nine pounds a day. Um, and he should have been, you know, I worked it out. It should have been a thousand stone within a year or something. It was ridiculous. It was utterly ridiculous. So the question you have to ask is why wasn't he? why didn't he gain at the rate of three and a half thousand calories equals one pound every single day because that's what the calorie theory said that he would do and at the other end of the scale why did the people in auschwitz why were they not like my earlier joke why did they not weigh 10 pounds in a year's time 
Some of them were in Auschwitz for three years, mm -hmm. probably getting no more than 800 calories a day. So they should have reached 10 pounds by the end of year one, and they didn't. So it doesn't work at either end of the scale. It doesn't work in the middle either because the body can and does adjust. And that's the bit that people just didn't allow for. And it's the most obvious response that the body is going to make a response. It's not just going to let you fade away or do everything to keep you alive. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So basically it comes back to the same thing that you've been saying. It's just about the quality of the food that you're eating. Yeah. That's all you need to focus on. Don't focus yeah. on anything else. Don't worry about calories. Don't worry about exercise right now. Like just think about the quality of the food that you're putting in your mouth. Yeah. Um, and that's and that's kind of what I wanted to ask. Um, I'm I'm aware of time because I know you must be really busy, but um, <laughs> there, there, I think Andy's um, doing tea at four o'clock tonight because we've got some meeting in the village and he's got someone helping him with plumbing. I know I know we're on for four o'clock tonight, which is that, quite nice that's, actually. That's fine. And actually, I have a podcast yeah. after this, so I'm also on the clock as well. But brilliant. Um, what I what I wanted to ask then is um a couple of things. Um. I've been looking recently at um, industrial seed oils and I think it's important that people know that, you know, the, the stuff that they're putting in their food, the stuff they're eating at restaurants and the stuff that's in their food from the supermarkets, um, a lot of it contains um, seed oils, which um, these days, um, you know, it's, it's becoming quite apparent that it's just, it's not good for your health. Um, it's quite inflammatory and it could be one of the causes of obesity like contributing to it um so what what are your thoughts on um seed oils and what can you tell us about them yeah i i would refer you to a couple of other people for this actually because it's okay. not if i see that someone i respect has done an area i don't do it i don't need to right. reinvent okay. the wheel at all so i think a couple of the leads in in this area obviously nina Tychol's. Um, who got into her whole big fat surprise book and why we should be eating meat and dairy by starting to look at the whole area of the, they're sometimes called vegetable oils. You're right, it's more accurate to call them seed oils. Um, so she's one I would defer to in this area. Right. And the other one is David Gillespie from Australia, who's written a book called, I think it's called Toxic Oil. Yeah. Um, and he's gone through it very, very well as well. And more recently, I've come across a guy called Chris Noby, K-N-O-B-B-E. Um, and he's massively into this as well. So I would bow bow to those guys. Um, okay. They're not part of my diet. Um, they are not healthy. They are yeah. not what we should be eating. Okay. Um, they're cheap. They're mass produced. Um, mm. They're doing environmental damage because we're trashing fields to grow these things as well as soybeans and other mm. plant foods um, to then feed to animals that we keep in sheds um and then give to humans i mean we've just we've gone mental you know we need the cows in the field mm -hmm. and we don't need that rapeseed for anyone so just get back to how we were doing it we've lost our way in terms of global food consumption okay so in that case um that leaves some time then just to kind of touch on um veganism now i know you have some um strong opinions about veganism <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, but I, I just wanted to ask um, why you think it's best that people um, keep animal products in their diet. Um, and this is coming from a position of having been veggie for 20 years. So I had to say, I think I was wrong. And I do think I was wrong. Um, and again, if you want a presentation on this, if you put in my name and you put in, should we be vegan? Mm. Uh, there's a presentation that I did last May with that title. 
and essentially I go through there are three reasons um, that people go vegan and I can relate to all of them number one is they think it's healthier number two they think it's better for the animals and number three they think it's better for the environment and it's wrong on all three counts um, <clears throat> and that seems really hard to believe when you're in the vegetarian paradigm which I was there is absolutely no question um, that it's healthier nutritionally I mean, the, the vegan sort of high priest, the Neil Bernard, um, Michael Greger, um, who's the other one, Joel, whatever, I can't remember his surname, um, David Katz and so on, um, done some great work around COVID, interestingly, but uh, I still can't be aligned with them on food. Of course, they say things like red meat causes cancer and heart disease, which of course is absurd because it's the food that we've been eating for the longest period of time. Um, so they would have us believe that the food that we've been longest eating, the food where you find the complete protein, the essential fats, all the vitamins and minerals in the form that we need them as humans, they're trying to tell us that is trying to kill us. And then these vegetable oils and these cereals and these, um, it's, it is just an, essentially cereals and vegetable oils and these fake ready meals that we've put together for you, those are the healthy ones. Mm. Um, and how can you convince anyone of that? I mean, how gullible do you have to be? that you think that you fall for that is just incredulous. I mean, the nutrition argument, please don't even don't even bring that one to me because I'll, I'll really struggle. It's just embarrassing how poor that one is. Um, the second one is very interesting because, of course, I didn't want to eat animals. That was why I was vegetarian. Um, why would you want to eat an animal? That's a horrible thing to do. Um, surely it's better if we don't eat them. Well, if we don't eat them, they're not going to be there. Farmers don't keep pets. So if the, the world went vegan, then basically it's goodbye to cows, sheep, goats, chickens, pigs, all of those animals. And you might think, well, that's a sacrifice worth making. Um, I happily never see a cow in the field again or a sheep in the field again, grazing the environment if it meant that they didn't end up being eaten. A number of vegans would say, yeah, that's a good trade. But what they don't realize, and there's a and this is referenced in my presentation there's a brilliant paper called animal deaths in field agriculture mm. and you look at these combine harvesters now that are about the width of a football pitch and i've got a picture of one of them in the presentation you just see this thing sweeping across the field what do you think gets hoovered up in that and they it's billions it's billions of animals and okay if you're saying um, you'd happily never have a cow die again, but you're okay with um, rabbits, fluffy bunny rabbits, domestic cats, if they get caught up in that field, they're going to be wiped out, I'm afraid, birds, worms, snails, insects, there's no hierarchy in the vegan world from what I can understand, it's as bad to stand on a snail as it is to, um, to kill a cow, so you, you are killing way more animals, um, and I actually work it out in the thing, I say okay, so I could live off a cow in in a year i could live off just that as my meat it would give me everything i need all the calories i need everything that's one death all the cereals the soya beans um the fake vegan foods the ready meals and all the rest of it that you're eating we're looking at billions and billions of animal deaths on an annual basis so it's not better for the animals you've just got to be honest and the question you need to ask vegans is what do you eat for which you think nothing has died because you won't be able to come up with anything because you'll tell me soya beans, whatever, and I'll tell you what's happened for you to be able to eat those things. Now, you, you don't want to think about that as a vegan. You don't want to process it because it's too unbearable to think about <clears throat> because then you're into, well, what do I eat? Um, and that, of course, is the thing. Well, actually, then you go back to the one animal dies rather than the, the billions. 
And then why do we need to eat animals? It's because of the third thing, the environmental thing is the exact opposite of what they're arguing. So let's say the world goes vegan. We have no ruminants, which is your cows and your sheep and your goats. So they're not grazing the land. That's what rejuvenates the grasses. That's what rejuvenates the topsoil. Those cows live in harmony with the environment. So there are billions of microflora that they're eating up through the grass. They host in their four stomachs. They regurgitate, goes back onto the land. And you've just got this incredible symbiosis, which produces incredible pastures, incredibly rich soil. So the way that our food system is supposed to work is how it was designed in the agricultural revolution in the 1780s. And you would have the three field system. So you would have the cows going in, rejuvenating the grass over one year. You move the cows into the next field and the second year you plant the crops. So you've got your potatoes, your root vegetables, um, things that would grow in the UK. And then the third year you leave the field fallow because it's got to rejuvenate. The plants actually rape the soil. They take the nutrients out of the soil. That's how they end up in our vegetables. Um, so you leave it to have a rest, then you put the cows back in again and they rejuvenate it. And then you've got the plants and that's how you, um, you, you manage your food system. But of course we don't do that anymore. We're just too impatient. Um, so we treat everything with fertilizers. We try to get it to grow quicker. We try to get it to market quicker which is why you could probably tolerate the wheat of 2000 years ago, but you just can't tolerate the wheat of today because it's not being made in the right way. But take ruminants out of this planet. We have no topsoil. We are in Armageddon. We have no ability to feed the planet naturally anymore. So what we do have to do then is what is happening already is that we grow our food upside down in greenhouses. And which companies don't mind if that happens? Cargill, Monsanto, um, the agrichemical companies don't they don't mind if that happens if the countryside is covered with greenhouses there's no grass there's no sheep there's no cows and again i've got a picture of what this looks like i put it up on twitter once the vegans went mental it's like well how how is it not that way how how is your let's get rid of all the animals how do we end up with topsoil how do we avoid that armageddon you know you might not like what i'm telling you but come back at me and give me the evidence for why it is still going to be okay if we take ruminants out of the equation because it's not it's the only thing that protects topsoil and already topsoil has been destroyed to a massive extent so topsoil used to be several feet thick and now you quite often see if you walk around the um live in the countryside as we do in the uk if you're going out for a walk on a rainy day the, the roads are brown and that soil running off the field because you haven't got the pastures on that field because they've used it for crops too many times in a row too often they didn't let it rejuvenate and it's just washing down the drain and it's gone forever never to return to the field i think overall it's um it's scary the way things are going um i mean here sorry my throat <laughs> um here in the cayman islands for example it's hard to find um like there are some farms here, um, organic farms, um, and then just normal farms that you know, sell foods, but they're not very big. And um, we have access um, to the American food supply. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's just the the ingredients in their food. I mean, even, even the UK, I think, has, has better kind of processed foods than they do coming here. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but it's, it's scary the way things are going. I think that's basically... Um, you know, it's something that people need to be aware of. But I think I'm so glad with um, 
what you've taught us today and that is to just stick to whole foods don't worry about um <clears throat> you know things that are kind of gonna gonna you know mess up your mind or you know put pressure on yourself you know put pressure on yourself to go out there and do things exercise and count calories and just focus on whole foods um and um you know just just look out for those ingredients that you don't understand and um I think they're just really just, important points just see it as fuel as well um because it, it's it particularly if you've had a binge eating problem it's become such a big part of your life it's become your whole life mm. it's become dominant everything you do and um, when you get that under control the best way to to sort of get that under control apart from all the things that we talked about is to have other things that fill up your time um, so when you stop binging, you've got this massive void in your life. It's like it was a full time job. Yeah. Um, so you have to in parallel be crowding it out. Otherwise, you're left there thinking, oh, I'm thinking of crisps all the time, because that's mm. what I used to be thinking about all the time. So you sort of have to run these two things in parallel of sort of ramping down how much you think about food. And some people do go into food in different ways and they become a chef or they become a dietitian or mm. something that might work for you. It might not be healthy. Um, but for me, it was just read more, research more, learn more. And then you're crowding out all of that thinking about food. We're mm -hmm. thinking about other things. Yeah. Um, and, and whether you take up a new ho hobby or you start doing what I did, which was trying to understand why I was craving food and looking at conditions that cause food cravings and all that kind of thing. But be aware that a couple of things are going to happen. One is you're going to have a gap in your life. And two, you're going to lose your crutch. Mm. You're going to lose your prop. Um, because not only were you physically addicted to food, which is what the three conditions are all about, but you were emotionally addicted to food as well. So you learn from a really young age and the food companies make sure that you're aware of this, that food is associated with everything lovely and fun and celebratory mm. and nice occasion. And you don't break that easily. So you have a birthday, you think you deserve something sweet. You want a cake, you want some chocolate, you have Christmas, you want something at Halloween, you want some the whole time they've just put it into you and somebody's mean to you and you want cheering up what cheers me up chocolate you know it's just you have to break all of those connections and realize that you've been abused your mind has been abused by fake food companies putting those connections in your mind which will not serve you well and will keep you overweight for the rest of your life which is what they quite happy if that happens really good point Zoe um thank you so so much this has been That's a fabulous okay. conversation I feel like I'm I'm literally a fraction more intelligent now I've just had a conversation about I feel like I've got Brilliant. some really good material here I could just when Brian gets home I'll be like did you know this 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 uh, and he'll be like really um but thank you so he'll put much you right he'll say, <laughs> yeah. oh that woman she's rubbish don't listen yeah. to a word she says that's what dietitians say anyway oh honestly don't listen to a word of that keep eating your starchy carbohydrates you'll be fine you won't get diabetes or obesity look at me and they're like this big i should oh, say that should I? oh you just you say it anyway don't you <laughs> um yeah yeah um anyway so i i was gonna say thank you so much um it's oh been that's my pleasure it's been lovely catching up i've seen you after all these years yes yes very nice um thank you so much hopefully you get to do it again brilliant see you again soon cheers i'm tamara walpole and you've been listening to your body's way if you haven't already please subscribe share rate and review this podcast you can find me on Instagram as Tamara Walpole Nutrition. 
Join me next time for some more juicy information on how to help you on your journey to your best self yet. Your body's way is the only way. Chat soon.